0: Well, good morning. Uh, For those of you who may not know, my name is Eric Tooker, and I am part of the leadership team here at Hope. And it's a privilege for me to be able to share a message from God's Word with my church family this morning. Those of you here and those watching online. And this includes any visitors here this morning, because the way we roll at Hope is that once you walk in that door, you're part of the family. You may be a crazy aunt or uncle, but you're part of the family. Now, if you came here this morning hoping to hear uh, uh, Bill or David, I am so sorry. (laughs) This is kind of like going to the theater and getting the understudy, or maybe the understudy's understudy. But while talent may be lacking, the material that we're going to look at this morning is awesome. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You, bet. <laughs> you bet. You bet. All, all I can do is my best. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. We will be in the book of Psalms this week and next week And then we're gonna be back to John for one or two more weeks, and then back to Psalms for the rest of the summer. So Bill will do a a bigger introduction to Psalms than I'm gonna do this morning, but I am excited to be in the book of Psalms this morning. I think of Psalms as the comfort food of the Bible, because no matter what your circumstances are, it makes you feel good. And if you're sad or happy or afraid or weighed down by sin, beset by troubles, or you just want to worship God, go to the Psalms. And Psalm 139 is one of the most moving and beautiful Psalms. King David is the author of Psalm 139 and more than half of the other Psalms. And in it, he is praising God and acknowledging the truth about who God is. Psalm 139 is also one of the most personal psalms. It's personal to King David, but it's full of personal application to each one of us. In fact, when you read the psalms, or this psalm in particular, you should personalize it. Read it as if it's coming from you to God instead of David to God. So consider Psalm 139 just as much about you as it is about David. So this morning, I'm going to focus on three character traits of God. And I'm going to use those three words quite a lot this morning. So I want to review them quickly because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as to what they mean. The first word is omniscience. God knows everything, absolutely everything, and not just everything in general, everything about you. The second word is omnipresence. God is everywhere, absolutely everywhere, but not just everywhere in general. He's everywhere you are. And the third word is omnipotence. God is all-powerful, but not just all-powerful in general. He's all-powerful when he purposefully, intentionally created you. So I'm gonna throw in one more for free. It's not on the slide and it's not directly in the text, but to me it's foundational to the text. It's unconditional love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So God loves the world, but he doesn't just love the world. He loves you. We don't think of these great truths or apply them to our daily lives as we should. We'll look at each of these truths more closely this morning, but it won't be enough. We need to preach these truths to ourselves every day. My prayer has been that this message will simply wet your appetite for Psalm 139, and that you will come back to it again and again and again in your personal study. So let me tell you a quick story now about Cinderella. My granddaughter Lucy loves the story of Cinderella. She loves all princesses, but Cinderella's pretty special. And I believe that I have watched every version of Cinderella, (laughs) live action and cartoon, made since the beginning of time. She likes the 2015 live action version because she likes the prince in that one the best. Yes, it starts at three years old. (laughs) At the end of the movie, Cinderella has been rescued from the attic and is coming down to meet the prince and try on the glass slipper. But she wonders if she is worthy of the prince. After all, she's not the princess that she pretended to be at the ball. She's just a poor country girl, just a servant in her own house. On the way down, She stops in front of a mirror and stares at her reflection. And the narrator says this, Would who she was, who she really was, be enough? There was no magic to help her this time. This is perhaps the biggest risk any of us can ever take to be seen as we truly are. This part always resonates with me because I see it as so true in human relationships. Now, some of you may be saying, Do you got anything deeper than Cinderella? Well, I do. Thank you. Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller puts the same concept like this, and this will be on the screen. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. So let me ask you this, and I will beg your indulgence. I have kind of a dry mouth thing going on, and so I'm going to be drinking water intermittently. So, please allow me to do that. Let me ask you this, how many people really know you? Not your profile on social media, where you can edit and filter, but your character, your faults, your past, your actions and thoughts, and the motives behind your actions and thoughts we lock that stuff up pretty tight, don't we? And if we try to hide the real us from others, how much more do we try to hide our true selves from God? So if someone knew who you really were, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about you, would they love you or even like you? Well, praise God, there is at least one someone who would, So here's the big idea of this message today. God knows you personally and intimately, and he loves you, still loves you perfectly. God knows you personally and intimately, and he still loves you perfectly. Now Psalm 139 is 24 verses long, and it's divided neatly into four distinct sections with six verses in each section. And we're gonna go through them in order. The first three sections relate to omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. And the fourth section talks about David's reaction to everything that went before and shows us what our reaction should be as well. So let me put up the first main point. God knows you personally and intimately. Look at, the f- at verses 1 through 6 with me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Scripture declares the omniscience of God in many places. But here, David is expressing God's omniscience by describing God's complete knowledge of him. It's personal and experiential. God knows David personally and intimately because God uniquely created David. In the same way that an artist knows everything about a painting or a sculpture that they make, so naturally God knows everything about his creation. The rest of the verses in the passage elaborate on the extent to which God knows David. As we look at these verses, I'm going to personalize them for you, make them about you. And you will see that God knows you better than you know yourself. In verse 2, God explains that, sorry, (laughs) David explains that God knows all of your movements day and night. God also knows and understands every thought you have and the unspoken motives and agendas behind them. That's an ouch. Verse three says that God searches or examines your life at all times. God knows all your ways. There is nothing you can hide from him. There is nothing God doesn't know, past, present, or future about you. Verse four declares that every one of your words is known to God before it is spoken. Is this convicting or what? How often do you regulate what you say because you know God is present? Ouch, again. And I think this one hurts me more than you. Verse 5 makes it clear that God's presence surrounds and protects you completely. His hand is upon you to preserve and protect and defend you. And here's the greatest thing, I think, about this for the, verse 5, is that nothing can get to you unless it goes through God first. Theologian Arthur W. Pink said it this way. God knows everything. Everything possible, everything actual. All events, all creatures of the past, present, and future He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. Now, I'm sure that most, if not all of you, have either seen or at least heard about the crowdfunded series called The Chosen. I love it. And my favorite scene so far among all the episodes is the woman at the well. I cry every time. She gets so excited as Jesus teaches her about worshiping in spirit and in truth and reveals himself as the Messiah, finally. Then she runs into town inviting everyone to come and see a man that told her everything she had ever done and most of it wasn't pretty. I always wonder if I would have accepted her invitation, wanting Jesus to do the same for me. And I wonder if you would. David's reaction to the all-knowing God is wonder and awe. For him, God's knowledge is not something to fear or to escape, but something to continually seek after. But David understands that a natural reaction to this all-seeing, all-knowing God is to try to escape from him. And he fears that some who hear this psalm may think that they can. Which is why David's thoughts turn to God's omnipresence. The second main point of this message is this. God's presence is everywhere you go. So God knows you personally and intimately, and God's presence is everywhere you go. Read verses 7 through 12 with me. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. David imagines three ways that one could try to hide from God, and he dismisses all of them as impossible. First, you could go up to heaven, the highest place you could go. Or you could go down to Sheol or hell, the lowest place that you could go. But whether you go up or whether you go down, God is there. As a quick aside, I want to say this about hell. So many people have a misunderstanding of hell. Satan is not in charge there, God is. What makes hell, hell, for those that are there, is that God's presence is there. Just not the grace and mercy part, only the justice and judgment part. John Piper puts it like this, and this is not gonna be on the screen. God's power is present in hell as the one who sustains our being and the one who enforces justice and the one who maintains suffering. He is present in all the ways men do not want him to be present and none of the ways that believers enjoy his presence. That's convicting, isn't it? And second, even if you could fly at the speed of light, you could never outrun the God who is everywhere all at once. If you could go to the most distant, remote part of the sea, God would be there, ready to lead you and guide you. And finally, if you, couldn't get away from, if you can't get away from God geographically, just maybe the darkness will hide you. In David's time, light represented God's presence, and darkness represented evil, chaos, and death. So maybe God would not inhabit the darkness because of this, and you could hide yourself there. No. No. Even if no human eye can see in the dark, God can. David confirms that the day day gives God no more light than the night, and the night no more darkness than the day. The darkness and the light are the same to him. So let me ask you this. How does... God's omniscience and omnipresence make you feel. I know the, this hemming in and surrounding thing made my wife claustrophobic when I told her about it. It might feel constricting, um, it, it might feel uh, overwhelming, disturbing. It's one thing to consider God knowing everything about other people, but how often do you think about God knowing everything about you? And how often do you consider that you are always in God's presence? My man Charles Spurgeon said this, is it not a very striking thought that every sin is committed in the presence of God He must be a very bold rebel who would insult his monarch to his face. Men are generally on their best behavior when they stand upon the palace floor. Yet the whole earth is but the habitation of the great king, eternal, immortal, invisible. And every time we sin, we sin in his very presence and with his eye resting upon us. This is a true and sobering reality, and we should consider it more often than we do. It should be a restraint on our behavior because we owe such a debt of gratitude and accountability to God. So as we live our lives, hopefully trying to live a life pleasing to God, we need to do so with the understanding that God is always with us. This is not about God finding out our sin and just waiting to zap us. Remember what we just learned about God's omniscience. He already knows everything about you. And he still loves you. He knows what we've done and everything that we will do, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We are not under hostile surveillance by God. That may be your Alexa and your Siri, but it's not God. (laughs) Our reaction to, to this should be like David's. He didn't fear God's omniscience or God's omnipresence. It wasn't too controlling or restrictive for him. It was a refuge to him, a source of comfort and strength. God knew him, so he knew what David needed and when he needed it. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples when he said, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Now I know that many of you are suffering right now, and your life may seem dark. You're suffering with chronic pain, depression, anxiety, persecution, separation from loved ones, or other failures and defeats. Please believe that no matter how black the night seems to you, no matter how impossible your situation seems, Your path is clear to God. Amen. Amen. No matter where you are or what is going on in your life, choose to believe that God is with you and his might and his power are active on your behalf. He is with you and he will lead you with his powerful right hand, which will uphold you. Amen. David understood that the reason God knew everything about him and maintained a constant constant presence with him was because God uniquely and purposefully made him, created him. This made David go back to the beginning, his own beginning. The third main point is this. God formed you intentionally, and this is going to be on the screen. Uh, There it is. So please follow along as I read verses 13 through 18. These are beautiful verses. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I awake and I am still with you. Do you ever wonder what God thinks of you? Well, your answer is right here in these verses. It's a pretty amazing answer, too. He loves you, He lovingly, intimately, and intentionally made you. God started the creative process of you, He was your designer. Do you understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? God chose you. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God loved you so much that he made you specifically, purposefully, intentionally, and his creation wouldn't be the same without you. By the grace of God, I pray that you would know that this morning. That's why David wrote this psalm, to praise God for his great love for him, and for every one of us who read it. I told Pastor Bill that this was the part that I just really wanted to get right because I wanted you, I wanted to, I guess, so clearly communicate how much God loves you and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I said, if I could, I would go down To each person, I'd go in front of them, and I'd put their head in my hands, and I'd lean up really close, and I'd say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he said, well, if the Spirit moves, do it. (laughs) And I said, no, because that's creepy and COVID. But I thought about it. In verse 17, David praises God for his thoughts. This isn't just praise for any thoughts that God has. These are thoughts God has about David. They are precious and valuable to David. And so, do you know that God is always thinking of you? Even if you could count every grain of sand on every seashore in the universe... You could not count the number of thoughts God thinks about you. And his thinking about you results in the blessings that he bestows upon you. The very blood that flows through your veins, the breath in your lungs, your continued existence for even one more second, all flow from his gracious thoughts and attention to you. He keeps you from trouble. He prepares you for trials so that when they come, they don't crush you. He gives you joy and contentment in the midst of deep sorrow. His thoughts toward you are wise and for your best. He doesn't simply think how to make you happy for today or for a week. He looks far ahead and determines what is best for you during the whole of your life and even with eternity in mind. And most importantly, God thought of you when he made a way of salvation for you. Before you were even created, God planned a way of salvation for you. He planned the path of redemption from the beginning of history and then ordained the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, and chose you to be a child of God through Jesus. Are you smelling what I'm cooking? So the last main point that I want to go through is your heart's response. And this will be up on the screen. Your heart's response. Please read verses 19 through 24 with me. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. everlasting. Now, this kind of seems like an abrupt change in the tone of this, where uh, he starts talking about the enemies of God, and he kind of gets his dander up a little bit. And I think part of that's because As David sees and experiences the omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence of God, it changes him completely in so many ways, not even recorded in this psalm. But he does record two. First, David commits to separating himself from evil and everyone who practices evil. He hates those who take God's name in vain and speak against him. He counts them as enemies of God and wants nothing to do with them. Many, even several commentators that I read, object to this and point out that Jesus taught us to love our enemies. And that's true. We are supposed to love and forgive our enemies. But should we love the enemies of God? We can't say that we love the truth and not hate the lie. We can't love righteousness And not hate evil. Now it's clear that we can't return evil for evil. As both Paul and Peter said in the New Testament. But we don't have to accommodate it. David ends this psalm in a similar fashion to the way he began the psalm. And Bill's going to be very proud of me because I'm going to tell you that this is an inclusio a word he loves, where a section of scripture is bracketed between the same or similar language. The difference is that instead of declaring that God has already searched and known him as he did in verse 1, in verses 23 through 24, he is begging God to continually search him and search his heart and expose to David any sinful ways that are in him so that God could lead him in the way of righteousness Look at verse five again quickly. It says this, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The Hebrew verb that's used in this verse means to besiege, basically to completely surround an enemy in battle. If you are a believer, you are not God's enemy, but you are surrounded by God's steadfast love You will be searched and known by God, but nothing will be found out about you by God that is not already known by Him and embraced by His love. So stop pretending that you can live your life apart from Him. Since He knows everything about you and is always with you, it's impossible to do it. And since He loves you with an unconditional love, why would you even want to? Be like David and surrender your life to him. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll ask the worship team to come back up now. And as they're coming, let me just say this. If you're here this morning or joining online and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to surrender too. Surrender by acknowledging that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior. God knows the worst about you and he loves you anyway but the message of psalm sorry but the message of psalm 139 should also be sobering to you hebrews 4:13 says and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account what will you do on judgment day When you stand before Jesus and give that account, the record of your sinful life will be exposed. Every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful act. I beg you not to wait for that day. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. So we could be saved from that judgment. He created you. He knows you personally and intimately. And he still loves you perfectly. Don't wait any longer to surrender and accept Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you and praise you as David did because you are a great God. You know all things about your children, and your presence is always with us. We acknowledge that you created us, and you did so purposefully and intentionally. Help us to tell that wonderful truth to ourselves every day, because we all will experience difficult circumstances that make us doubt you. May the truth of how much you love us insulate our faith from such doubt give each one of us the desire for you to search us and know us. And please use everything you know about us and your continual presence with us to sanctify us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.